I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, we'll be considering the last passage of Mark 1, which starts on, well, we'll begin the reading in verse 35, but our passage begins properly in verse 39. Let us pray again. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this time we spend with his word in his presence. Father God, you know precisely what our hearts need to hear today for us to continue to grow in your grace, to continue to be molded after the image of your glorious and gracious Son, and for us to be those who bear much fruit in your kingdom and so bring you honor and glory and bring good to our fellow man. We ask, Lord, that you would make this word of yours understandable to us, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would open our ears, that we would receive your word like water, nourishing our souls, that you would also constrain the words of the preacher, that everything said would be faithful and true, would serve your holy ends among us this morning. May we all be humbled by the gospel proclaimed. And may we all be exalted by it in Christ as well. This is what we seek, Father. Do for us, Lord, though, even more than we may ask or imagine, according to your holy will and by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I'll begin... Mark 1.35, this is the word of God. Arising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. 
This is the word of the Lord. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is my conviction that when we think of our Savior, we rightly think of one who shows compassion to the hurting, to one who saves the sinner, to the one who encourages the discouraged, who soothes the wounded, who heals the sick. And so we should, for this is his ministry to us. He lifts us up. He exalts us. He's the one who imparts to us in the spirit and then one day in the body, resurrection life. This is his ministry to us. Yet there's something we must also recognize, reckon with, about our Savior's ministry to us and to others. And that is that he often, and inevitably I should say, upsets us. He also offends us. He also shocks us. He even, understood in the proper light, scandalizes us. Scandalizes our flesh, our sinful reasoning, our natural mind. In fact, we might rightly say that the comfort and calm and encouragement and healing of the gospel cannot come but through the gospel's upsetting offense or its shocking scandal. And that's because no one can ever be exalted by the gospel without previously being humbled by the gospel. No one can ever be found by the light of the gospel unless he first sees that he is lost by the light of the gospel. No one can ever become spiritually rich through the gospel who has not first by the gospel become and seen that he is in fact, spiritually poor. And so we can say that we who would be soothed by the Savior and those we know who would be soothed by the Savior must first become scandalized by the Savior. Not scandalized, as we often use it, as in tempted to sin or exposed to corruption, but scandalized as in brought by the gospel to forsake ourselves to have our ordinary way of thinking well of ourselves upset, undone. To be moved by the gospel, to be cast down in ourselves. To be led by the gospel, to fall out of all love with ourselves. To do what we profess we do when we join the church. To abhor ourselves because of our sinfulness. If we are to have any true and real hope of salvation, we must first despair of any salvation coming from ourselves. Yes, if we would be soothed by the Savior, we must first be scandalized in such ways by the Savior. And today's passage provides us all an opportunity to find that soothing in Christ, to be reassured of it through this scandalous and scandalizing story, Jesus healing the leper in Galilee in what is likely the very early part of his earthly ministry while he walked among us in Palestine. There are multiple scandals in this passage, understood as scandals from various points of view, with one ultimate scandal proclaimed through them all. And this morning, my hope is to walk us through each of the different scandals we find in this passage 
until we arrive at the soothing power of the Savior today. Uh, The first is the scandalous confidence of this leper's approach to Jesus. The scandalous confidence of the leper's approach. Mark tells us in verse 40 that a leper came to Jesus imploring him and kneeling, saying to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, since we've never lived in Old Covenant Israel, we simply do not respond intuitively, instinctively to this verse the same way that Mark's original audience likely would have responded with shock, with disgust, with offense, with anger even towards this leper for doing something so audacious, so unloving, so borderline unlawful, in fact. Leprosy, uh, you may be aware, was a skin disease, is a skin disease. The term that Mark used here in this passage, um, like the Hebrew words used in the book of Leviticus that refer to these things, covers a variety of skin conditions, such as boils, burns, itches, uh, ringworm, eczema. Of course, they didn't necessarily use those terminology, that terminology. Uh, scholars best understanding is that the term leprosy in Scripture could be a catch-all term that in today's uh, medical uh, understanding could represent as many as 72 different skin diseases, which would all have different treatments and prognoses, etc. When we hear the word leprosy, we often think of Hansen's disease. That's what we call it today. Hansen's disease is a bacterial infection that in which slow-growing bacteria actually attack and eat the nerves of the body until they swell underneath the skin, leading the person to lose the touch of the sense of touch or pain, which can, of course, then leave them with <laughs> cuts and burns that fester because they do not detect them readily or for other reasons, and they don't get treated properly. In some cases, it results in the loss of fingers, toes, eyesight, even paralysis, and, of course, death. Uh, The man who approached Jesus in verse 40 may have had what we call Hansen's disease. He may have had psoriasis, though. He may have had boils or ringworm. We simply do not know. What we do know is what the law of God required of him, and that's what matters more. In Leviticus 13, the Lord God gave the following regulations to Moses and Aaron regarding the lifestyle of one who had been diagnosed with leprosy by the priests. And it says this, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, 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 watch out, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Such people were not only ceremonially unclean and potentially contagious, of course. Because of the way that they had to live, they were likely physically unclean, odorous, unpleasant to look upon, and miserable in their countenance. Likely not the best hygiene. They would even cause the most compassion of us to initially recoil. James Edwards writes, This is not simply the description of an illness. It is a sentence 
the purpose of which was to protect the health of the community from a dreaded contagion. To ensure against contact with society, lepers were required to make their appearance as repugnant as possible. To stand at a distance of something like 50 paces. According to the Hebrew Mishnah, which is just tradition looking back, but it has some insight, of course. A leper's entrance into a house contaminated it. And his standing under a tree polluted anyone who passed under it. Some superstitious practices that were attended upon these things eventually. So if this is the case, this is the view of these things in the covenant community, then this leper's approach compromises Jesus' ritual cleanliness. It's getting close to breaking the law. This leper has, has not kept himself at an appropriate distance from Jesus. He's not social distancing, we might say. He's come so close to the Lord that Jesus is able to touch him just by stretching out his hands. That's scandalous. Now, a few years ago, of course, our our mindset, perhaps for many of you, has changed about SARS-CoV-2, what we call COVID-19. But just transport yourself back to those early days when pretty much none of us knew what was going on in this world. And all of a sudden, we were locked down. When we were initially very concerned down in Oshkosh, as were you here, but our session, like most every other church's leadership team, decided to move from gathered worship services to live stream for a time. And the elders uh, were especially jealous of my health as the pastor of the church. For those initial weeks, the for the sake of the ministry, they they were so wisely concerned for me. They encouraged me to be cautious <clears throat> about where I went, who I saw, because if I were to get COVID-19 and I was ha- would have to quarantine, that could have the potential of shutting the ministry down for a season. Maybe live stream wouldn't even work because I had to have people running the, what was it back then, an iPhone, live streaming on Facebook or something. We couldn't even be in the same room, according to the regulations and our understanding of the condition at the time. So it was a very you know serious time for us. We were not sure what was happening. But I want you to imagine back then, with our mentality of how things were operating, imagine if in those weeks of the initial lockdown, someone diagnosed with COVID-19 and also symptomatic, actively coughing and sneezing, were to walk into the church midweek, step into my study, lean over my desk, coughing everywhere, sneezing in the open, asking me, oh, pastor, (coughs) could you please pray for me? How would we feel about that? How would I feel about that? How would the elders feel about that in that day or an age? For good or ill, we may disagree or not, but in those days, I think most of us would say, why didn't you just call and ask for prayer? Wouldn't that, I mean, why not FaceTime or Zoom? Prayer works over the internet. <laughs> why not at least wear a mask or stay socially distant if you had, if you had to come in? I think many of us might have said to that person in that day, what are you thinking? The pastor's prayer might help you, but then if he gets sick, then it might be two weeks of him out of the pulpit and da-da-da-da-da, you know? Well, that's how the average person in the first century would respond to observing or hearing about this leper approaching the Lord. 
especially those who had an interest in Jesus' ongoing ministry, what audacity, what even we might say selfishness, that you would put your needs above his Jesus' ministry. What a lack of concern for his own health and cleanliness to preach the kingdom as he had come to do. There is a sense of scandal here, what this leper did, confidently approaching the Lord in his uncleanness. And it's just as scandalous, brothers and sisters. Here's the point. It's just as scandalous, if not more. It is more scandalous when you and I, wretched sinners, corrupted by evil desire, wickedness, and the like, Dare to approach the living God in his holy purity. J.C. Ryle asks the penetrating question, Is there nothing like leprosy among ourselves? Yes, indeed there is. There is a foul soul disease which is ingrained into our very nature and cleaves to our bones and marrow with deadly force. That disease is the plague of sin. Like leprosy, it is a deep-seated disease infecting every part of our nature, heart, will, conscience, understanding, memory, and affections. Like leprosy, it makes us loathsome and abominable, unfit for the company of God, and unmeet for the glory of heaven. Like leprosy, it is incurable by any earthly physician and is slowly but surely dragging us down to the second death. And worst of all, far worse than leprosy, it is is a disease from which no mortal man is exempt. We are all in God's sight as an unclean thing. Saints, if we are to pursue the soothing, cleansing power of the gospel, we must first allow the gospel to confront us with the scandal of our sin and cause us to bow the knee in the presence of God and cry out, as Isaiah did, unclean, unclean, woe is me, I am undone. In our sin, we are as the leper, scandalizing the world by appearing in worship and approaching our God. But that is not the greatest scandal of this passage. A greater scandal is found in the compassion of the Savior's touch, which we read about in verses 41 and 42. How did Jesus respond to this likely unpleasant sight? With pity, with a merciful, compassionate heart. Jesus didn't take offense. He didn't start accusing this man. He showed pity. Mark writes, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him, saints. The man who was diseased in his skin, Jesus touched. He didn't walk away. He didn't take a step back. That looks like six feet. Let's keep this up. (laughs) That's not what he did. He leaned forward, he stretched out his hand, and he touched him. Jesus didn't have to heal this man. He didn't heal everyone who needed his power. The Gospels make that clear to us. Jesus makes that clear to us. 
And he could have healed this man even just by speaking a word. He's done that before in the Gospel of Mark and elsewhere. Stay six feet away, right? Be thou healed. He's healed. Then he gives him a hug. Right? Why not? He could have just told him to wash in the river. Go that way. There's a river over there. Washing it seven times. Come out. You'll be fine. Then we can talk. And I'll even give you a side hug. That's not how Jesus did it, is it? All those options would have legitimately been available to him. He didn't have to work in any particular way. He could choose to manifest his divine power to heal any way he chooses. He could spit on the ground and put something on his eyes to heal the blind man. That's what he did for him, right? There's so many things at his disposal. Jesus intentionally chooses to touch the man, to heal him that way, saints. If the first scandal wasn't enough for us, Jesus adds a second. That instead of rebuking or avoiding this contagiously unclean man, he responds to his audacious advance by moving toward him himself and healing him by making physical contact. Now, it'll help us feel the scandal of what Jesus did if we remember what the Lord had discouraged the Israelites from in Leviticus 22, which says this, Whoever touches anything that is unclean, And whoever touches a person from whom he may take uncleanness, uh, leprosy is a major case in point, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And as long as someone uh, was unclean, they're not able to come near the Lord. They had to keep a distance from the covenant community, certainly from the tabernacle complex, so as to not spread their uncleanness further. Even though it would have just been for a day, right? Evening comes, cleanliness comes back. Becoming unclean was no desirable thing, not to mention the, humanly speaking, risk that you take of contracting the leprosy by making contact with the leprosy. And that would have been potentially a lifelong issue for you. So not only has this leper scandalously risked Jesus' ceremonial uncleanness, but Jesus ups the ante by making that risk a reality when he touches the man. It's not just that someone who just had the flu walked into your house. You actually drink their water after they have had a sip of it. Right? We won't do that. Don't do that, by the way. This would have offended the sensibilities of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can bet. They were upset when they saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and spending time with prostitutes. What would they say if they saw him touching a leper? Probably a good thing they weren't out in the desolate places where this was taking place. A full third of the ceremonial law was dedicated to managing the Israelites' ritual purity. We call it the ceremonial law, the the holiness code, etc. And here Jesus seems to disregard it. He doesn't disobey it now. That's not what we're saying. It did, the law didn't forbid the touching of a leper. It just discouraged it by assigning a social and cultic cost to those who did. They would have said it was scandalous. And they would have said that even without knowing that he was the divine Lord. It would have been scandalous just for a, a clean human to do this. The only thing more defiling... Then, then leprosy would have been a dead corpse. What about God? 
the holiest one of all, the cleanest of the clean. How could he touch the wound-laden flesh of a disease-ridden man? It offends our natural sensibilities. Is this, brothers and sisters, how you feel about the Lord as he touches you to heal you in your uncleanness? Or has that become dull to you? Well, yeah, of course you're just going to heal me. It's not no big deal. Or do you recognize what the Lord has to traverse to come near to you? What he has to traverse to come near to me? To heal me. What Jesus had to do to come to save us just by taking on our human flesh. My family was sick recently. And in the midst of that sickness, it was one of those not-so-fun ones. Not that any of them are fun. <laughs> Unless you're a student and you get off school, right? That's when they're fun. Um, that doesn't happen for me anymore. But in any case, I recognized, wow, like I would do anything to not have to deal with this again. And my Savior voluntarily took on a humanity that was subject to such miseries. He did not have to do that. He willingly took on our nature in all of its weakness and he suffered the worst it could endure. We must, brothers and sisters, consider ourselves as unclean in the flesh and recognize how great a stretch it is for the Father of lights to send us his Son and to be our Savior, to come into our midst and to touch us, to be united to us body and soul. We're not just united to Christ in the spirit. We're united to him in our bodies. (laughs) That's why they will one day rise. That's why they themselves will enjoy the power of Christ's resurrection life as he, by the power of the spirit, so to speak, touches them and breathes new life into them one day. But by his touch, he makes us clean. We do not defile him. Rather, he cleanses us. That's his power. That's his life. It's beautiful. It's miraculous. It's soothing to the soul. We we need the Lord to overlook the scandal of coming near to us. We need him to despise the shame, to think little of the grossness of coming near to sinners like you and me. We need him to swallow the spit that has come into his mouth as he wants to vomit us out by looking at our sin. We need him to overcome that by the blood of his son and to then be able to receive us with joy. That's what we need him to be able to do. He's made provision for that through his son, and he loves it. He sent his son out of love for us to do that work. And so we have cause to esteem what God has done for us through Christ in a greater way if we see this scandal. There's more soothing to be had when we see how scandalous it is. But even this scandal of the Lord touching us, touching this leper, is not the greatest scandal revealed in these words here. The greatest scandal is the cost our Lord was willing to accept and to pay. The cost, we might say, of the gospel's exchange. There are two exchanges. Exchanges here, actually, for us to see. And the first one concerns the healing itself. What Jesus gave this man is not difficult to see. He gave this man back his health. 
He gave him back his skin in its wholeness. When the Lord touched him, he was instantly healed. The leprosy left him, Mark writes, from head to toe. In an instant, the infection was gone. The rash, the boils, the itch, whatever it was, every unpleasant symptom entirely eradicated. But let's think of it this way. What does the leper give to Christ in exchange? No works, no HSA, no value, no obedience, no worth. All that he brought to Jesus was his leprosy, his need, and his faith. Listen to the words that he spoke to the Lord as he drew near. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. This isn't even a request, is it? It's a declaration. It's the leper's statement of faith in the ability Jesus had to cleanse him from his leprosy. You can make me clean, he said to him, as long as you're willing. This is what the leper offered our Lord in exchange for his healing. Simple faith, nothing more. He believed that Jesus had the power to heal him. He trusted him to restore him to health. Saints, we have to admit in our legalistic minds that uh, justice works oriented. Don't give me charity. I'm going to work for my own keep. Part of our remaining sin is offended by this. It's quite scandalous. It's an outrage. What this man received in the restoration of his life, wasn't it a gift worth more than just a little faith? What this man received... Is this all he had to do? Believe? Really? But this is how Jesus often operated. He would heal an unclean woman of 12 years of bleeding and tell her in response to her touching him, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Two blind men would come to him one day and therefore, and before he healed them, he asked them the following question. Kind of like when you go to the clerk and she says, cash, card, or, you know, check. Well, Jesus asks a question first before he heals them. What currency is he asking for in this question? He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? That's like him saying, can, can you pay for this transaction? Do you believe that I can do this? And when they affirmed it, saying, yes, Lord, then he touched their eyes and restored their sight. Faith is the thing that our Lord accepts when he offers us his power. Faith, not works. Faith, not self-worth. Trust and belief in his power to do for us what we desperately need. But brothers and sisters, what is faith? Is it a replacement for works? A substitute payment that we make to the Lord of our own in place of our works, has the Father said, well, these people I made have proven themselves unable to obey me well enough to be worthy of my life and my love, so I'm going to start accepting another currency, the currency of faith. Maybe some of them will be able to make their payments that way. Well, there is a payment being made, but is our faith itself an alternate currency? Is it like Tesla saying, now we're going to also accept Bitcoin? Is it like Walmart accepting a coupon instead of cash? 
No, faith itself isn't an alternate work like an alternate currency. Faith, we can say it this way, it's a gift from God. The ability to have it is a gift from God. But as we think of it itself, it is the way we use an alternate currency. An alternate currency that God does accept in place for our works. And what is that alternate currency but the very obedience and works of Jesus Christ? And faith is just the way that we spend, so to speak, Christ's works. Christ's works are what give us any credit with God, his righteousness, his sacrifice, his life. And our faith is something like us using our credit card. It's pretty easy to do, isn't it? Maybe too easy, right? <laughs> it's, it's not the swipe of the card at the cashier counter that puts money on the card. In a similar way, since we have no cash of our own, no credit with heaven based on our works, we have to use the credit God gives us in Christ. The righteousness of Jesus fills our credit card account over and over again, and we swipe. By the strength that God gives us, we swipe. Facing temptation, needing to trust in the grace and provision of God to evade that temptation, you swipe the card. I trust in the power of God to evade, to provide me a way of escape according to his word. He's promised that there's faith, not your merit, the word of God, the promise of his power. We rely upon the wealth that he's given us there, the spiritual wealth he's given us there. Faith says, I'm not able. I have no money in my checking account, but I've got credit with God. I'll swipe that card. That's why I'll pray. That's why I'll pray with confidence, not because I have any cash of my own, you know, to exchange with the Lord. Well, God, I've done these good things, so could you please restore me to health? That's not the way we pray. We say, I don't deserve any good thing from you, but Christ has done it all. And on, his, on the basis of what he's put in my account by his righteousness, I make my plea to you. And it's something like swiping a credit card. And God gives us the grace to do it. And there's no interest. Somehow the account just keeps getting filled back in because it's an infinite line of credit with God. Praise be to the Lord for that. Now, it's all relational, mind you. It's a very transactional analogy. But it's all relational. It's all based on love. Well, faith says, I have nothing to bring, but Jesus has everything to bring. So I depend upon him, who he is and what he's done. Though faith, brothers and sisters, is the way we have access to his perfect obedience and all that it earned him, all that we can have in it as well. So faith is even less, we can say, than a substitute payment. If it was a payment, a substitute for our works, then what we would be offering to God would still be coming from us, but it's not even that. It's putting everything we need from God on Christ's tab. That's what it is. That's the first exchange. This man's faith, which is really say he's exchanging the worth of Christ for the work of Christ, the healing power. The second exchange is seen in the consequence of this healing for both the former leper and for our Lord. When Jesus healed this man of his leprosy, he offered him a massively restorative transformation. It affected more than just his bodily health, mind you. It affected the entirety of his life. 
When this, what this, when this leper eventually did what the Lord had commanded him in verse 44, when he showed himself to the priests and offered the appropriate sacrifice that Moses commanded, it would have been sufficient proof that he was healed and could be restored to society and worship and to his family and to work. No longer would he have to be ashamed in public. No longer would he have to dress the way he was dressing. He could go to the tailor now. No longer would he have to stay unkempt. He could go to the barber now. He, would have to, he wouldn't have to continue saying unclean as he walked through the streets or around the periphery of the people. He wouldn't have to stay on the outside of the camp. He could now enter in. He could see relatives that he had only seen from 50 paces before. He could receive a hug. Perhaps the man was a head of household whose wife had been praying and waiting for him to be restored or had just moved on somehow. Now he could return to her embrace. He could come near to his children if he had them pinch their cheeks, tell them how much they've grown, express his love to them. He could get back to work and be gainfully employed and do something productive for the benefit of others. This man's whole life was transformed by this healing because his whole life had been transformed by his illness. This is a glorious gift that he received. He was on the outside now could return to the inside of the covenant community. On top of all of that, now the man, now the man can bring a lamb into the temple. Now the man can come to the Lord and confess his sins in his own presence, offer the appropriate animal sacrifices, and receive the assurance of a priest proclaiming the word of God to him. Now he could sing with the saints in the temple. How long had it been? since he had been able to join the worship of God and to enjoy all the assurance and encouragement and strength of the grace of God's word and the ministry of the Old Covenant Church to him. This man received much. He received much in this healing beyond the healing of the body. But we must look, brothers and sisters, at the cost, the scandalous cost that Jesus paid for this man to enjoy this great whole life transformation. In verse 39, at the beginning of our passage, we read of Jesus' plan to go throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This was his plan. This was what he intended to do. But what actually ends up happening after he heals this man? For a season. Look at the end of verse 45. Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. Jesus' plans were foiled. Now, not the sovereign plan of God. That was not foiled. But we are to see this as some manner of loss Jesus incurred. This mission disturbed from a human perspective. James Edward puts it this way. Mark began this story with Jesus on the inside and the leper on the outside. But at the end of the story, Jesus is outside in lonely places. Jesus and the leper have traded places. This is the second scandalous exchange. And it gets worse. The scandal gets amplified, I should say. Because it's all the leper's fault. He's the one to blame. 
This exchange only took place because, as verse 45 tells us, the healed leper went out and began to talk freely about what Jesus did for him. Jesus' fame as a healer spread so fast to all the surrounding villages that it became difficult for Jesus to get to a synagogue to do what he wanted to do, and that's preach. (laughs) He loved to heal, but he wanted men's souls to be healed, which could only happen as he proclaimed the kingdom to them and gave them an opportunity to believe. No one got into the kingdom because he healed their body, but only because he healed their soul by believing the word he gave them through his preaching ministry. And so anyway, people, as they got wind of this, oh, Jesus can heal my body, they may have had no interest in the kingdom and just an interest in their flesh. And they swarmed him like ants on a piece of dropped fruit. And this, even though as we saw, as we see earlier in this book, healing wasn't the center of his ministry. Preaching held that honor. So for a season, the Lord's ideal ministry of going from synagogue to synagogue throughout Galilee to bring the message of salvation to the ears and hearts of all of the people there was set to the side. And he had to settle for caring only for those who could afford to make their way out to him outside the village, on the outskirts of society. The cost here is scandalous enough, but add to that how the leper was to blame. It wasn't an honest mistake a sincere decision that just went sideways. Now, this exchange, unlike the first, wasn't the result of the healing, per se, but of the leper's sin. In verse 43, we read that Jesus sternly charged the healed man and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But what did this man do instead? Verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about this. We cannot say he knew better, he was overzealous, he just loved Jesus so much, he wanted to tell. No, this was defiant rebellion. This was a disregard for Jesus' words. The man Jesus just miraculously and lovingly healed with life-changing ramifications did the very opposite of what he had just commanded. And not just commanded, sternly charged him. He probably looked the man in the face and said, look at me. I'm going to heal you. Do not tell anyone. Do you understand? Like you're talking to your three-year-old. Do you know what I'm telling you? You must not touch this pot. Do you hear me? This pot. Do not touch it. You understand? You could tell I've done this before. (laughs) We're on the same page, right? You walk away. This is how Jesus speaks to this man. He makes it abundantly clear what he is supposed to do. He'd just been healed. You would think he would have esteem for this one. You'd think he would have reverence for this one. Right away. In his healing, he does exactly the opposite of what the Lord had commanded him. It was disobedience and nothing less than this disobedience that produced the final exchange where Jesus is left on the outside and the leper is on the inside. And yet, brothers and sisters, this passage says nothing at all about Jesus' regret. Although he did command the man to keep silent, And having this healing widely publicized was not what the Lord had desired. 
Yet he was willing for this exchange to take place. In fact, this episode is a little miniature of the gospel itself. Mark has helped us to see our Savior acting as the servant of the Lord who does more than bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He is also the one who is pierced for our transgressions. Not just our infirmities, but our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities, bearing the sin of many and making intercession for the transgressors. Of course, that's Isaiah 53. Here Jesus is using his power to freely heal this man who believed, but greater still, as he gives this man his life back, he suffers his sin of disobedience, disrespect, disregard, and he willingly pays for that in his place. Jesus is not just restoring him or you and me from an infirmity we were infected with by someone else. He's healing us from our sin condition from our rebellion against him. And he willingly pays the price for it in our place. Can you feel the soothing power that we can only appreciate by seeing the scandalous nature of all these exchanges? This foreshadows for us, friends, what is to come. That because of our sin against God, God's own Son will suffer something more than a season of isolation and frustrated ministry plans. He will suffer the spiritual and physical torment of divine punishment and be forsaken by his Father unto death. And what will come of it? We who deserve to be condemned will be justified. We who deserve to be alienated will be brought near We who deserve to be given over to our corruption will be sanctified. You see that in the man's cleansed flesh. We who deserve to be dishonored will receive resurrection glory. We who deserve to be left in our irresponsible, selfish nature, no good to anyone else, will be enabled to do good works and to love others. Be restored to family, to community, to church. This is the exchange of the gospel. We give our sins to Christ, and he gives his obedience to us. We give our death to Christ, and he gives us his life. Are you willing to be scandalized by the gospel today? To understand it this way? If you will not, you will never enjoy the soothing power of the Savior. But if you will, if you are willing for your pride to be offended and your sensibilities to be stepped on, then what you will gain is more than a mere soothing, more than a mere healing. You will gain everlasting salvation. You will be brought near in a way that only God can achieve. And it is freely offered to everyone here who has faith even though we continue to sin like the leper did. What an encouragement. May the truth of these words minister to your soul today. Let us ask for the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your willingness to give us life, though all we could give to you was death. Thank you for the light you give us, though we were in the dark. Thank you for our Savior. 
for the way he dealt with this leper. Give us grace to see ourselves in him and to be healed body and soul by the Savior and glory in that power. Praise be to your name. Amen and amen.